0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next, The Best is Yet to Come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee, and the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah, and how God's call on His people in that day is one he still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful. As we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today.
1: All right. Hey, good morning. My name is Brandon Billups. I'm the College and Adults Pastor here. It's a privilege to get to be with you um, this morning while Jason is out. Um, A quick shameless plug. We do have young adult college programming every Thursday night. Um, at our Nashville campus, and that is for all campuses at our Nashville campus, so if you're in that 18 to 29 range, you're looking for some young adult worship, love to have you come out. Shameless plug, over. Um, Like I said, my name is Brandon. Um, A lot of you guys uh, don't know me, um, so I wanted to introduce my family to you. I've got a picture up here. This is us. That's my wife, Bridget. My two boys, Beckett and Brady, they're seven and four, um, and this picture was taken uh, just right before I told them that everything the light touches is our kingdom. Um, I'm glad some of you got that. <laughs> I was really worried you were going to get that, uh, that joke. Um, uh, yeah, but that's us. Um, uh, that's that's pretty normal, pretty normal family. Um, hey, we're in our uh, new series next, and we've been walking through the story of Nehemiah. Um, and Nehemiah, man, his, his heart breaks for his people. Um, for the city, because and because of that, he's going to take action, right? To start restoring hope to Jerusalem by leading them and rebuilding the wall around the city. And up to this point, everything seems to be going well for Nehemiah. Um, He's got the favor of God. Um, The king of Persia is is really giving him whatever he needs to make this happen. He's rallying the people to join him, and they are behind him. He's cast the vision; people are catching it. They are following. In chapter three, which was last week, um, it almost sounds like it's done, and you hear like the credits are like going. It's like, man, this person did this, and this person did this, and it was awesome. And it was kind of like this zoom out to see that, and now we're zooming back in in. chapter 4 to see kind of how it all went down, right? And chapter 4 is when it gets hard. Chapter 4 comes the opposition, which shouldn't be a surprise, right? Whenever you attempt to do something for God, you should expect opposition. Let me read you a couple verses. This is 1 Peter 4, uh, 12 through 14. It says this, dear friends, do not be surprised the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. I love that passage. One, it's like, man, don't, don't, don't think this is strange, right? When you are tested, when you are challenged, when when opposition comes, don't think this is a strange thing. And then it says, but rejoice in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And that that is the perspective that is so hard to have, but that we want to have, right? Of man, I'm I'm going through it for Jesus, but. But man, when his glory is revealed, it will be worth it. Then there's John 16, um, uh, verse 1 and 2 says this. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And then the rest of this chapter is Jesus talking about all the challenges and struggles and trials that we are going to face. And then the chapter ends like this in verse 33. It says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's your first point today if you're taking notes. It says we should expect opposition when we live for God. We should expect opposition when we live for God. I'm not sure where people came up um, with this idea that being a Christian means everything's going to be easy, right? Like the prosperity gospel, like if you follow Jesus, you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. It's simply not in the Bible, right? Like you look at Jesus, he was sinless and he faced like nothing but opposition, right? Uh, He was literally killed. John the Baptist, who Jesus said was no man born greater than he, beheaded. All the disciples who followed Jesus closer than anyone martyred for their faith. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have opposition if we are living for God. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world isn't exactly cheering on Christians. What do we do with that? Right like we we could stay quiet and not stir the pie. We can even go, "Man, maybe they're right. Maybe we are the worst." Or we can go, "Man, I don't care what they think. Whatever." But but actually we're trying to do something different. Right, Because we want to be a faithful witness to those people. We don't want to create this holy huddle that as long as we can do things our way here, we're good to go. But no, we want to go out and be on mission so that he would be known, so that he would be preached, so that his love would spread. And as long as we are doing that, we're going to face opposition. This is going to be a chipper little sermon today. We're going to jump into Nehemiah 4, but before we do that, let's pray. God. God, we come before you, and we just confess you are in control. We want you to be in control of our lives. God, even when we begin to try and take control, God, we ask that you would just remind us of who you are, how great you are, how awesome you are, God, and that we would give it back to you, God. God, I just pray that as we dive into your word today that you would uh, illuminate it for us so that we could understand it. God, I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would just speak um, to the hearts and lives of every single person in this room, God. is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna be in chapter four, starting at verse one. We're gonna be walking through the whole chapter today, so let's get started. Verse one, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Okay, so Sanballat Ballot, A Samaritan leader and official. In Nehemiah 2, we first see him, and he is disturbed when he hears the news um, of what is happening in Jerusalem. So they use scorn and intimidation to try and prevent the work from starting. Now that the work has begun, he has become furious about it. Now, why is he upset in the first place? As oftentimes when we face opposition and challenges, it's because someone, there's a threat to losing something. Right, And that is what he has. In fact, that's your next point. Opposition often comes because there is a threat of loss. In this case with Ballot, he is worried about losing power. He doesn't want to lose power over Jerusalem. This is like, man, if you're, if you're a parent in the room and you've ever like, tried to make a decision, like, all right, you know what? From now on, we're only eating fruits and vegetables and healthy food. Opposition's gonna come. It's going to come strong too, right? Why? Because there is this threat of loss of all the delicious things that they were getting to eat just because it made them happy and they didn't throw a fit, right? That is what's happening here. He's worried about losing power. Let's keep going. Verse 2, And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. Good one, Tobiah. Here's what they're doing here. They're sowing doubt. Doubt right? Because they're they're not just talking to each other about this. They're saying this to all of the people trying to do this, right? They're sowing doubt into everyone's mind that, oh, this is ridiculous. They'll never be able to do this. Oh, it's going to be awful. Like they're just trying to sow doubts. And, and here's what's crazy about this is this strategy is not an original tactic, right? We see this used by Satan in the garden, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, there's one rule, don't eat the fruit um, from the tree, right? And, and what does Satan say? Did, did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? Right, like he didn't just come right out and say, no, God didn't say that, go ahead, do it. No, he just kind of sowed some doubt. Did God really say that? Sometimes... Um, Around the office, I like to joke around a lot. I like to uh, do pranks every now and then. And generally, when people um, come to me and are like, Hey, did you do this? Did you fill my desk with candy corn or whatever the dumb prank was that week? My response is generally, Does that sound like something I would do? And then they're like, Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> was it? Like, yeah, it was. Um, but this is what they're doing here, right? Like, it's not. It's not this just blanket yes or no. It's just sowing some doubt, right? And we need to be ready for this in our own lives. Like, hey, did did God really say that sin is that big a deal? Did did God really say I need to be generous? Did God really say that believers should meet together and that's important? Did, Did God really say that I should train my child up in the way they should go? It's doubt. Satan is sowing doubt. The enemy is sowing doubt. And for us, that's why it's so important that we are grounded in God's word, that we stay in God's word, that we are constantly reminding ourselves of the truth because in the world, we are constantly gonna have doubt sowed into our minds by our culture, by everything around us. We have, that's why being grounded in the truth and God's word is so important. Let's go to verse four. So this is Nehemiah's response after all of the ridicule, the jokes, as they're laughing at Nehemiah and his people. Verse 4, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own head. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders." Here's your next point. Our first response to opposition should always be prayer. Uh, This is exactly what Nehemiah has done through this entirety of this book. He brings it straight to God. And I love the way even this this chapter is written is it doesn't even start with, so Nehemiah prayed. No, it's just, here is so God. It's just straight to God with his problem. I I don't know about you, but I don't always do that. Right? Like like, I want to be able to fix things. Uh, that's always my first go-to is like, all right, let me figure out how to fix it. All right, let's get a whiteboard out. Let's start to strategize. I'm going to make a 45-point plan with some sub points, and we're going to fix whatever problem this is. But no, no, Nehemiah, hear us, oh God. Hear us, oh God. He goes straight to God. And why is that? It's because this is an overflow of Nehemiah's heart, of what he believed about God, that he believed God was in control, that he believed he needed God's strength. And so it was just a natural for him when this happened to go, God, talk to God, give it to God. And then verse six might be the most powerful line in this entire book. So we rebuilt the wall. (laughs) I love that. Right? So like Sam Ballot and his crew, they're all ridiculing. They're making fun. They're bringing threats, all of this stuff, right? And and so what does he do? He prays, all right? And they rebuilt the wall. There's this quote by Derek Kidner about this. It says this. It says, The sturdy simplicity of that statement and of the behavior it records makes Sam Ballot and his friends suddenly appear rather small and shrill. Dwarfed by the faith Unity and energy of the week. Nehemiah and his people, like they had a calling and they didn't let the scorn, the opposition, the jokes, the sowing of doubt stop them. Here's your second, here's another point. The second response to opposition should be to move in the direction God is leading. It should be to move in the direction God is leading. Listen, if God has called you to do something and you have prayed about it and you believe God is calling you to do it, your next step is to move in that direction. Uh, Whatever direction, whatever steps that needs to be to go in that direction, that is your next response. Verse 7. But when Sambal, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Here's your next point. The opposition is plotting against you. And I do realize that sounds very doomsday, right? But it's true. The enemy is is Out there like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. There is a real spiritual battle always in progress. And I think a lot of our issues is that we don't believe that so we're not preparing for it. We don't believe that so we're not praying about it. We don't believe that so we're not protecting against it. Listen, people that most of the time when people get mugged walking down the street, it's because they're doing this. Why? Unaware that there is any type of enemy or opposition around them. There's a real spiritual battle happening. And I think if we really believed that, we would put our phones down. Verse nine. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Okay, so this is the, the response by Nehemiah. It's to pray to God and then we put a guard to meet the threat. So here's your next point: be prayerful and practical in responding to opposition. Be prayerful and practical in responding to opposition. Listen, I, I'm praying for my kids, but I also lock my doors at night. <laughs> right? Like I, I I pray that God will protect my kids. I, I also put them in a car seat when we drive. And they're teenagers. No, I'm just kidding, they're not. What do we do? We give it to God, and we go to work. Like, man, I'm praying that God will save my kids, right? But, but I'm also going to read them the Bible. I'm going to get them in church. I'm going to share the gospel with them. It is prayerful and practical, right? This idea that we're praying for rain, but we're going to prepare the fields at the same time. Nehemiah prayed, and then he posted guards. God, I, I pray you would help me not sin like that anymore. Well, that's great. Now also put up some parameters in your life. Uh, to put up some boundaries to help with that. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labors is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So you see what's happening here? All that doubt that was sowed earlier has now seeped into the people's minds and hearts, right? And it's all these things are coming up, right? It's, it, man, they're going to attack us. This is too much. We can't get all of this. This is We've been doing this forever, and now it is getting super hard, your next point is this. Opposition easily moves from external to internal. You know, it's whenever you attempt something difficult that takes a long time, it's the middle section that's the hardest. Um, about a year and a half ago, I had uh, shoulder surgery on, on my rotator cuff on my right shoulder, and man, coming out of that, I was like, all right, I'm coming into rehab. I've got six months of rehab, and I'm going to come in strong. I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to do extra." Right, I'm gonna make sure I do this well. And for the first couple weeks, I was all in. I was like, yeah, let's go. After a couple months of doing this, right, you're like, I don't even think this is doing anything. This is getting, this is just like, it's so monotonous, there's so much, but then near the end, once I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, the motivation came back, right, and that's what I think they're, a lot of what they're dealing with here, is they're in the middle section, our strength is fading, there's so much rubber, wherever they turn, they're going to attack us, and and here's, and this is a, honestly, a good worry to have for them, right, because Part of the problem they had is all the rubble was still surrounding the city, right? So we could keep out horses and chariots and whatever it was. When they begin to move that rubble, it's a lot easier for the enemy to come in. So to be able to build a new wall, they were making themselves vulnerable first. You can see that the doubt that was sowed earlier has seeped into their minds, their hearts. They heard the mocking, they heard the laughter, and now it's getting tough and they're wondering Man, were they right? Is this a bad idea? You know, sometimes our biggest critic is ourselves, right? Like, we're the ones sowing doubt into our own minds, into our own hearts. Like, things were getting exhausting. We're working hard. They're anxious for their safety. There's so much trouble to clear away. It's getting dangerous, man. And it's becoming internal. It's becoming internal. They become a big critic of themselves. And for some of us in the room... I, some of, some of you aren't more critical of yourselves than you are, right? Like, you are the most critical person of yourself. Have you ever heard the quote that says, if you had a friend who talked to you the way you talked to you, how long would you be friends with that person? Some of you in the room are like, ah, I know, I'm so stupid. Why do I do that to myself? <laughs> right, like, but, but, but we need to be careful with that. We need to be careful with, with the internal criticism that we have. Okay, so Nehemiah is catching wind of all of this, so let's see what he does, right? The people are, are fading. Let's see, see what happens. Verse 13, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and your." And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. So Nehemiah is basically saying, okay, I get that we're going to expose the city. Here's how we're going to handle this. Let's put people here and here. We're going to get them weapons. And he's going to remind them, don't be afraid. Remember God who is great and awesome. Remember how far he has already taken us in this journey. He's not going to let us down now Fight for your families. Like, this feels like a heart speech moment that he is moving into. He is sons of Scotland. Like, he is, he is ready to go. But I love this because he's reminding them, our God is awesome. And remember how, how all this has come into place? It could only be God. Of course he's going to be with us through the rest of what we're going through. Here's your next point, be prepared to protect against the opposition. Be prepared to protect against the opposition. Right, like we saw that, it, man, it was, it was God who brought us to this place, it's God that provided all these materials, it's, it's God that got all this to happen. Uh, man, for, for your own life, whatever you're going through, remember, man, it, it's God who's always been with you, who died for you, who loved you, who, for, who forgave you. It's Jesus who became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. It's Jesus who is always provided, always forgiven, always redeemed. We remember the faithfulness of God, and that helps us with our faithfulness moving forward. I don't know about you, but I need to put guards at the weakest part of my wall. How does that look in your life? Uh, We all know where we are weak. We know where the cracks in the walls are. How can you put a guard there? Whatever you're going through, whatever opposition or challenge you are facing, remember God is with you, and he is awesome. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to... Our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. I love that line worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other. <laughs> Some of us need to carry a weapon in one hand while we work with the other. I'm going to protect myself against the opposition. I'm also going to get to work r- Remember, we shouldn't be surprised that opposition is going to come in our lives, right? The, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So I'm going to go to work, but I'm going to have my Bible in one hand. I'm going to go to work, but I'm going to be singing songs while I do it, right? Like worship is, uh, is my weapon, right? I'm going to work, but I'm, I'm going to be prayed up. I'm going to work, but I'm going to be surrounded with godly community while I do it. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continue the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. They knew there was an imminent threat at all times they knew that they could be attacked at any moment so they were ready do you know that you may not have a physical army ready to attack you at any moment but man there's a spiritual battle happening there's a spiritual battle happening at all times, and we are under attack. And I think a lot of our issues today comes from the fact that we don't actually believe that, right? We don't see the attack. We don't see the enemy. We don't see the opposition. So we don't pray, we don't prepare, and we don't protect. And then we're not ready when the spiritual attack comes, right? What happens in most of our lives, honestly, I think one of our biggest dangers is that we get comfortable, right? Right? It's so easy because comfort is all around us and comfort becomes all about us, right? And when we get comfortable, I think the enemy knows he's already won, right? Like there's no need for arrows, there's no need for spears, there's no need for attacks because we're content spending our life on the couch watching TV, eating good food, scrolling through reels, shopping for new things that bring us happiness for a minute. I mean, if that's how we spend our lives, doesn't the enemy go, yeah, I won. God has called us to so much more. And the more we follow that call, the more opposition we're going to have. In the 1800s, there was a couple, Adoniram and Ann Judson, called to be the first American missionaries to Burma. He and his wife married two weeks before they boarded a ship to go to India. They spent the next 40 years of their lives witnessing to the Burmese people. They were imprisoned, they were tortured, and they never gave up on their calling. By the end of their lives, they had established several churches in Burma and had given Burma its first Bible in their own language. They probably went through more opposition and more struggle and challenges than we could ever imagine. Think they regretted it? I don't think so. Look a Mother Teresa, a missionary who devoted her life to helping those in need, spent 45 years ministering to the poor, the sick, the orphaned, and the dying in Calcutta. One of, one of the quotes that she has that I love said, God doesn't require us to succeed, he only requires that you try. There's a man named Rich Mullins, a Christian artist who wrote songs like Awesome God um, he was an incredibly successful Christian music artist. He made lots of money, gave control of it to the church elders. He said, I just want to be paid the average American salary. And then he gave the rest to charities and churches. In 1995, he moved to a Navajo reservation to keep, teach kids about music and Jesus. He died in 1997. Does anyone think Rich Mullins missed out on anything by giving away his money, by spending his life teaching people about Jesus? No. Of course not, because God has called us to so much more. Each of these missionaries, different people had lives filled with struggles and challenges and oppositions as they lived for God. What's God calling you to? What is God calling you to? It might not be to be a missionary or to give up everything you have, but he's certainly calling you to serve. He's certainly calling you to love. He's certainly calling you to share the hope of Jesus with the people around you. He's calling you to a purpose of some sort that he has created you for. And your purpose isn't to live for yourself. I promise you that. It's to live for Jesus. And when you do that, you're going to face challenges. You're going to face opposition. But man, it is worth it because you'll have a life filled with purpose. Listen, this campus here, that, that we are in, this building that we are in, man, it, it is here because for years, men and women woke up incredibly early on Sunday mornings, packed trucks full of stuff, brought it to an elementary school, spent two hours every Sunday morning setting up church, and then tore down afterwards, because someone in this church volunteered to wake up at like 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings and go and drive this old yellow truck that broke down more often than it worked so that we could have church in this area week after week. Faithfulness, even when it got hard, even when it was challenging, I promise you, all of those people that were a part of that, there was a lot of Sunday mornings, they did not want to (laughs) go, They did not want to serve. They were tired. It was getting hard. They didn't know where the light at the end of the tunnel was, right? But man, faithfulness. We're going to face challenges. Uh, Some of them might be direct opposition. Some of them uh, might just be the fact that we live in a fallen world and life is hard. Uh, Whatever the case is, God has called us to faithfulness. Uh, I want you to see a video. This is a video of um, a partner at our Franklin campus. Her name's Kelly Cook. Um, we're gonna watch her story this morning, so check this out.
2: I think that I can see my purpose in my pain. And that purpose is sharing our story. And, and our story is hard and it's heartbreaking. But it's also a a story of forgiveness and a story of being saved. Pete is still very much alive in my heart. He was an amazing guy, amazing dad, amazing husband. He loved life. He loved God. And um, Peter was a drinker. And he drank throughout our marriage. And um, the last five years of his life, he started to drink more, and became consumed by alcohol. We were in this community group for two years, hosted it, and they did not know that we were drowning. I stayed in a hotel room with my three boys to get away from Pete one night. And I went to um, our leaders the next day, and I said, we're not drowning, we've drowned. We need help. And they rallied around us. On uh, March 6th, 2021, Peter died. But in reality, we lost Pete to alcohol two years before his his death. Our world was shattered, completely shattered. Pastor Jeff came to our house. Um, He sat in our living room and my youngest son looked at Pastor Jeff, and he said, "I'm scared that my dad is not in heaven because he did some really bad things." I heard that, and my heart just it sank. And Jeff did such a beautiful job of saying he he was a believer, and he was, and he was saved, and he read scripture, and he just you know ensured Baylor that your dad is in heaven. And he said, will you baptize me? You know, at that moment, this little boy who who just learned his dad died needed Jesus and wanted Jesus and wanted to open his heart up to Jesus. A month later, most of the day that Pete died, uh, it was Easter and Pastor Jeff baptized Baylor. It just was such... A beautiful thing. So that just shows you in the midst of the pain, God was with us. He was covering us. That su- support group and the church and our friends. They came around us. That allowed me to be open about what was going on. And and I never was alone. I couldn't see it though. I mean, God was with me every step of the way. God put these people in my world to help me bear what was to come and just knowing we weren't alone was freeing and and I could finally see God and 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 God was hearing me it opened my eyes to I'm not I don't have to suffer alone this is God this is his work you know he's our healer he's our comforter Uh, he's our redeemer I mean he has rescued me and he he will rescue you that's the good that's going to come out of this.
1: He is our rescue, right? Whatever you're going through today, look to Jesus. Jesus is our rescue. I want to read you one of my favorite passages before we wrap up. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is Paul. in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is Paul talking, like after he has gone through imprisonments, persecution, shipwrecks, snake pit. Like you can go through the list of all the he challenges he faced because he followed after God so closely and was on mission for God but he said whatever it is whatever challenge I'm going through his grace is sufficient for me I pray that's true for all of us today whatever you're going through I pray that his grace is sufficient for you stay faithful keep praying keep trusting in him I want to end like this today with just a question for everyone what would happen in your life in your family's life If God really got a hold of you in this way.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.